right, you guys ready for the word? Yes. Have you guys been enjoying this series? It's been amazing. We are in a series called Rest, Rhythms, and Reset. We actually finish it next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to teach on fasting, which is going to be incredible. Uh, but we've been journeying through these uh, four key spiritual practices that we see in the life of Jesus, uh, which is Sabbath uh, community. Today, we're talking about prayer. Shout out. And then next week, we're going to end in fasting. And uh, we've been journeying as a church to actually implement this every week. And so hopefully you've been doing that. If not, this is the week to start. Uh, But we're implementing these practices every single week. And the heart for this is that as we finish this series, and as you continue your journey of walking with Jesus, that these are practices that you will continue to live out. Amen? So we're journeying through this. And today, we're going to talk on prayer and I just want to give you guys uh, just a precursor. Uh, this message, I believe, is one of the most important messages you'll need to hear. And I'm not saying that because there's any crazy revelation or, you know, this, you're all going to stand and applause because it's so amazing and eloquent. But this topic of prayer is something that you do every single day. Every single day. So this is something that I believe that we need to be equipped in, that we need to be strengthened in, and that we need to live out. Amen? All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that there would be a holy focus in the room. Remove any distractions, silence any noise, and we focus on you and what you want to plant in every heart in this room. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Holy Spirit, would you just speak? And I pray, Lord, that what I say will plant oaks of righteousness in everyone. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to start with a story. And the story uh, is about a woman named Monica. And Monica was a single mom, and she only had one son. And the son uh, was the complete opposite of who she was. She was a devoted believer. Every night she would lay hands, she would pray over her child. She would sing hymns, she would sing songs over him. Uh, But her son ended up growing up contrary to everything she believed. Uh, He ended up being a womanizer. He was known in his South African town uh, as the public drunk. He was drunk all the time. He would stay up late uh, and people would find him and, And this was his reputation. Uh, But the interesting thing is that he actually had incredible intellect. And he eventually grew to be a philosopher and channeled all of his energy to actually disprove his mother's beliefs. And in this journey, his mom, Monica, did not give up. She continued to pray nightly for her son's salvation. When her son was 19, she actually had a dream promising that he would be saved. And in response, her prayers started to grow more intense, more fervent. But year after year after year after year, nothing happened. And nine years ended up passing after she had that dream, and her son made plans to travel to Rome. And, you know, his goal at that time was to just get drunk and party and just be wild. And her heart was really broken by that. And so she stayed up all night in intense prayer for him while he was traveling to Rome. And during that trip, her son ended up sitting alone in a garden in Rome. 
And when he was sitting in this garden, he hears the audible voice of God for the first time. He hears God's voice and he's like, what is happening? Shocked. And it leads him to opening scripture. And as he was reading scripture, he gave his life to Jesus. And Monica's son was named St. Augustine. And he went on to be widely considered the greatest theologian in history and a father to the early Christian church. Prayer releases power. Amen? And so we see, guys, that prayer was central to the life of Jesus. He prayed in the night and sometimes even prayed throughout the whole night. He rose early in the morning to pray. He prayed before his baptism at the beginning of his public ministry. He prayed after great achievements. He prayed in moments of crisis. Jesus prayed to recover strength. He prayed before he ate. He prayed when life was busy and he would often withdraw alone. He prayed when he was weary. Jesus prayed before great temptations and he prayed in the last moments of his life. Prayer was central to the life of Jesus. What's interesting is we see this moment in scripture where Jesus is asked this question. Rabbi, how do we pray? You guys remember that? Jesus wasn't asked, how do we preach? He wasn't asked, how do we raise the dead? How do we walk on water? He was asked, how do we pray? And what's so interesting, I've said this before, Jewish people knew how to pray. They prayed three times a day. They had their scripted prayers. They prayed all the time since they were young. All they knew was to pray, but there was something when they would see Jesus after he would go alone and be with the Father, when he would come back, there was something about him that was different. There was something about him that when they saw him pray, that they saw, wait, there's something different about the way Jesus prays. And this is what he is inviting us into they noticed something was really significant when he prayed. And what's really, really amazing is Jesus actually gives us the framework of his prayer life. I think that's exciting. Jesus gives us the framework of his prayer life. So let's go to Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. Luke chapter 11, 1 to 4. It says this, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Okay, so Jesus had a certain place where he prayed. And when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So they noticed after he prayed, something was different. Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus said this to them, when you pray, Say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus shows us the framework of his prayer life. We probably have all heard this verse, right? The Lord's Prayer. Maybe your mom had it like crocheted in like an old wooden frame on the wall, anyone? Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. 
And we all have heard this passage and Jesus teaching them how to pray. And I think for a lot of us, because we've heard it so much, we've actually become desensitized to it. This is God in flesh asked a very important question. How do you commune with God? This is how I do it. This is how I do it. And as I was praying and preparing for this sermon, I was like, okay, I'm talking on prayer. I need something revelatory, right? I need something new. Everyone knows about prayer. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what should I teach on? And the Lord's like, I already taught on it. (laughs) So that's what we're going to dive into today, okay? Let's dive into it. So the first one, Jesus says, our Father. So the first thing is that prayer is foundationally relational. Who was here last Sunday for community? Is that good? All right, listen back to that. It's really important. I love this verse. We shared this last week. John 17, 25 to 26 says this. This is Jesus praying. He says, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order, listen, that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That Jesus bridges the gap revealing how personal God can be known. And I love this verse we talked about last week to give you a little summary Right, when we're talking about community, we have to understand the origin of community. We see the origin of community is found within God himself, right? God is fully in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. We have to ask our, ourselves this question, right? What was God doing before he created creation? What was God doing? We see here in John 17 that what the Father was doing was loving the Son through the Spirit. And so this is what we're invited to. This is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to set you free and then figure out how to be free. He sets you free, and freedom looks like being a son. Freedom looks like being a daughter. And he's saying, the love that the Father has eternally had for me, I'm going to share it with humanity. He's a God who shares. I want to share that with humanity. This is very interesting. In Genesis chapter 2, God is repeatedly called Yahweh Elohim, which means Lord God in English. But every time the serpent or the enemy refers to God, he just calls him Elohim, which just means God. Right? The abstract name for divinity dropping the personal. This is what the enemy does. That he drops the personal. God is just an abstract divine being, but Jesus came to reverse the curse of the fall and show us that God is actually someone that we can personally know. Guys, this changes how you worship. I'm serious. This is why we worship with passion, not because we just want to appear more spiritual or we just want to be loud or we just want to be rambunctious, but it's because we're in love. And who knows that love looks like something. Love is not stoic. Love looks like something. I love this quote. It says that Jesus didn't come 
to change the Father's mind about you, but to change your mind about the Father. And so the revelation of God as Abba was very scandalous during Jesus' time. Right now, we're, we're used to it, right? Abba, God is our papa, God's our dad, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. But at that time, it was so scandalous, it's actually what got Jesus killed. Saying, what are you doing? God, is, you, God can't be your father. That's blasphemy. Right? There's literally a, a story in the Gospels where Jesus says that. And it says the, the, the Pharisees went away, the plot to kill him. This is how scandalous it was. That Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I came to reveal the will of the Father that part of Jesus's earthly ministry was to show you who God was actually like. Right? When you see me, what? You see who? Father. Or C.S. Lewis says that the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. So this is why we see throughout Scripture, Jesus, right, the prophets say this, that his house will be what? A house of miracles, a house of worship, a house of prayer. Isn't it interesting? My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And the key to understanding that is that his house is a house of prayer because prayer is foundationally relational. So I want to leave you with this for this point, that your prayer life will rise or fall depending on how you answer this question. Who is God? And how do you see him? Who is God? And how do you see him? That's why Jesus starts the framework of his prayer life by teaching us to start with saying, our Father. All right, the second one is hallowed be his name. That prayer allows us to see God clearly. Revelation 4.8, we see this glimpse into the throne room. It's this crazy scene. As this each of the four living creatures had six wings, was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I think it's significant that they have a lot of eyes. Right? God doesn't create and design things by accident. He didn't give fish gills by accident. That there's so much of God for them to see and discover that two eyes aren't enough. So understanding God as holy is the response to seeing him rightly. Think about this. This is the eternal response to seeing God. You're holy. You're holy. You're holy. You're holy. You're holy. And so hallowed be your name comes at the beginning in the Lord's prayer. And right away, Jesus removes the focus from us and turns our attention to God because it's about him, his holiness, and his will. So this was interesting. During Jesus' time, 
God being holy was like, that was normal, right? And God being father was like, that's scandalous. You can't say that. Whereas now it's switched. It's like, uh, God's holy, like, that's scary. I don't want to touch that. But God is my dad. I can do that. But we need both revelations. Otherwise, we have an impartial picture of who God is. That he is so approachable and near, yet at the same time, he is so much otherly. Right? The word holy means to be set apart. It means he is so much different than us. Like It's literally impossible to make God in our image because he is so much different than us. But the beauty of Jesus is that he made him knowable. And this is what we're going to spend eternity doing is knowing him. And so Jesus starts the framework of prayer by removing the focus off of yourself and starting it with him. That's important. That the word hallowed means to make holy, to sanctify, or to set apart. The closest word in English is to honor. So God's name, right, hallowed be his name, God's name speaks of his identity, his character, and his actions. Right, if, if your name is tainted, if your name is, rep, is misrepresented, someone misrepresents who you are, right, that represents your reputation, your character, your actions. So hallowed be his name. That God's identity and nature is known when we rightly respond to honoring him. That in focusing on God, he migrates from the back to the center and prayer pours forth from the life that has God at the center. Oh, you guys didn't hear that. That was so good. Let me say that again. In focusing on God, he migrates from the back to the center and prayer pours forth from the life that has God at the center. I love that we sang that today. Jesus be the center. Because here's the thing, guys. Trust me, I get it. For some of us, prayer might sound boring. Maybe you saw it modeled in a way that's like, oh, I got to pray before I eat. I just want to eat. You know what I'm saying? There's that one family member that prays for like 20 minutes. You're like, this is not it. But for us to truly understand the power of prayer, we have to understand who we're praying to. His Father, and He's holy. And so, hollowing is for our benefit, for our prayers to make any sense, we need to see God clearly. That our Father is a reminder of God's intimacy, whereas hollowed is a reminder of his separateness, his majesty, and his holiness. So Jesus teaches us to hollow his name, to allow us to see him clearly, so our prayers are filtered through him. All right, the third one, this one's really important. His kingdom come. That prayer aligns us and releases his will. I think this is the one aspect of prayer that we have the least understanding of. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 19, speaking to Peter, but also to the church. He says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh, what's going on? 
It's kind of weird. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want you to hear this. This is very important. That God made Adam and Eve, his managers, to rule and steward here on the earth. God's intercessors or mediators entrusted to release the kingdom. But Psalm 115 verse 16 puts it clearly. It says this, the highest heavens belongs to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. Let's soak in. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to mankind. So to intercede means to go between, to intervene between two parties or to mediate. That God maintained and maintains sovereignty and ultimate governing authority over the activities of his own creation. But God did and does share, remember he's a God who shares, who shares the responsibility of managing the earth with his people. God made us to be his intercessors, to co-labor with him, to see his kingdom come to earth. Oh, that's so good. You get that? That's so good. That God plans all things, but our prayers are part of the way to fulfill his purposes. This is why we pray. Not only are we commanded to do so, but things happen when we pray. This is why the first two are so important. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Because we have this idea, and this is why a lot of people don't pray, because they think that God already did everything. I used to struggle with that. I'm like, why do I need to pray if God's sovereign? Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Why do I need to pray? A lot of that is rooted in our understanding of sovereignty, but I won't go into that. But when we understand God has given us what? Keys to his kingdom. Why would he say, hey, pray this. Your kingdom, God's rule and reign, come on earth as he's ruling in heaven. Why would he tell us to pray it if we weren't given authority to see that released? He would just say, I got it figured out. Go take care of some sheep, right? Go plant some squash in the garden. No. This is what's interesting, that when God created man, he gave them work to do. This is before the fall, by the way. He gave them work to do. And the purpose was that they would be fruitful and multiply, that they would take dominion over the earth. What this means is that as their family, who was living in the tangible presence of God, by the way, right, says that God was walking in the cool of the day with Adam. Is this, are you guys good? It's following? that Adam was walking in the cool of the day with God, that as they were fruitful and multiplied, 
that the borders of the garden would expand as their family expanded. Because Eden was a, a specific location. And God's desire was that his presence would be spread to the rest of the nations through his people. And that commission is still open today. All right, so God is sovereign, but his sovereignty is released through our prayers. For example, God's will is that everyone will be saved, right? You see that? That he, his will is that no man should perish. But does everyone get saved? No. Because he's entrusted us to spread the gospel. Right? He's designed us for partnership. That we are made to participate with God in lovingly overseeing the world, bearing God's authority to rule in selfless love. We've been given keys to his kingdom. At this moment, like a week ago, we got some chickens, and we actually have sheep and goats now, which is funny. Um, but our chicken cube, the, the latches broke off, right? They broke off the door. We didn't want them to escape. And uh, it was pitch black. I had my little headlamp on and uh, really don't know how to use power tools well be honest with you guys. I was like, okay, I need to do this. I need to get this done. And I want to give my wife a break because she's pregnant. My three-year-old, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to invite him to help me fix this thing. Right? It's fun. There's literally nothing he can do. I'm like, here, hold my phone so I can see in the dark. And he's just like, (laughs) what's going on? It's really funny. I go to unscrew the old screws. I'm like, okay, August. I need you to just hold these screws. This is your task. Hold these screws. So he holds the screws, and I'm drilling them in, right? I'm like, okay, buddy, can I have the screws? He's like, I put it away. I was like, bro. (laughs) This is literally what he does. He's like, he goes in his hand, he gets his hands. It's in his pockets. I'm like, okay, it's in his pockets. He didn't just like throw it away. This is what he does. (laughs) Flings them out in the pitch black. And I'm literally like with a flashlight trying to find these screws <laughs> in the dirt. And it was, just, it was just so bad, I just had to laugh. It was like, you know, it's what it is. And there's a, those moments, right, where it's like there's literally nothing. Like I, I can do it myself. But for you to mature and for you to grow in a relationship, you need to be a part of what I'm doing. Like imagine if my son just never participated in anything that I did. My identity, my values would never spread to him. He would never mature in the way that I know God wants him to mature. And we have this idea with God where he's like, good luck, right? You have the Bible, right? You have this Holy Spirit thing that we don't really understand, but you have that thing, right? But he's like, no, I'm actually going to walk with you through my spirit. Yes, I've given you my word, but I'm personal. And it's in the place of prayer, one, that we discover who he is, but that we also discover who we are. And so throughout scripture, 
we actually see God being moved by man's prayer, where God was going to do something, and someone prayed, and God's heart was moved. In Genesis 18, with Abraham pleading for Sodom, in Exodus 32, with Moses asking for mercy during the making of the golden calf, and Jonah about the city of Nineveh, and 2 Kings with Hezekiah's life being extended. And so it's important to understand that prayer changes things. It doesn't change God's nature, but it moves him and changes your situations. We're invited to fervently ask to see his kingdom come and will be done. Here's the beautiful thing. Oftentimes, you're the answer to that prayer. God, bring your kingdom in Lynchburg. Go for it. You have the gospel. Go for it. You have neighbors that don't know me. We even see this in the story of Jesus. You guys remember Jesus' first miracle, right? The party, the wine being multiplied. What's interesting in the story, if you remember it, is Mother Mary goes to him. So Jesus was baptized, right? It was almost his initiation into ministry. But he hasn't done any miracles yet until this point. They run out of wine, which looks really bad for the couple, right? You don't go to a party in Israel without wine, apparently. And... Um, Jesus' mother goes up to him and says, Jesus, do it. And he literally says this. He says, woman, it's not my time. He literally says that to his mother. Woman, it's not my time. And she, she just ignores it. And she's like, servants, do whatever he tells you. So they bring the jars and he does the miracle. But Jesus' heart was moved by his mother. That James 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I want to ask you guys, why do we pray safe prayers? The ones that are so passive and vague that we'd never be able to tell if God answered them or not. God, maybe kind of heal this person. God, like, just give me, like, just a little bit of, you know, better situation. When we actually understand this, guys, it changes the way we pray. You've been given keys to the kingdom. To see it released on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives, our loved ones, our churches, our city, and the nation, right? Every great revival starts with prayer. We're seeing that happen. I love Walter Wink. He says this quote, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. And so Jesus teaches us that prayer first aligns us with his will, and prayer also releases his will on the earth. Amen? All right, the fourth one. Give us daily bread. Prayer is where we ask and receive. Philippians 4, 6. It says this, do not worry about anything, okay? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. It's really good. But if there is worry, the invitation is to pray. And pray in a way where you're asking God for what you need. That God is so relational that he invites us to ask because he's your father. That he gives daily bread, new mercies. Every day there is fresh provision. I've shared this before. Stress is simply an imbalance. It's when you have more demand than supply. If you constantly live a stressed life, and I mean, I get it, right? Family, kids, life, work, it's a lot of things. But let me ask you this question. Did Jesus live a stressed life? And I think the reason why is because of this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That Jesus had more supply than demand. Jesus had a lot of demand. Everyone wanted a miracle. Everyone wanted to see him. Like, we, we think that Jesus was just like this, like, he was a celebrity, right? Thousands of people followed him and wanted to hear what he was saying. They would travel to different towns just to hear him teach. There's a lot of demand. But the thing is, Jesus prioritized supply. He would often go away to lonely places. He would often pray in the night. He would often pray in the morning. He would go away. He won't even tell people how long he's going to go. He would just go away and pray. I heard someone say this. That Jesus spent most of his life in prayer. The rest of his life, he tithed to ministry. That Jesus was constantly living in communion with the Father, that his ministry was simply an overflow of that. It wasn't, okay, I'm burnt out from ministry, now I need supply. That's not how that works. Actually, the opposite. That because I have so much supply, I can do ministry. Think about how that changes the way we do church, the way that we lead people, the way that we love people. And in all my years of pastoral ministry, one common thing I see people struggle with is this, is they simply don't know how to receive. It's, it's not some big, blatant sin. But what, I, what I, I've always continuously seen, not in every single person, but in most people, is they simply struggle with receiving. And a lot of that is honestly cultural for Americans. <laughs> right? I grew up in the Philippines, and I mean, we're all living together and doing everything, and you're taught to receive. But in America, in individualistic cultures, right, we're taught, I got to do it myself, I take care of myself, got to work myself up the ladder, I got to be successful. I do all these things. But here's the thing, guys. If we struggle with receiving, we also struggle with asking. If you struggle with receiving, you struggle with asking. 
And this has been, if I could ever give someone like one piece of advice, right? If I was like stopped on the street by like Jimmy Fallon or whatever, he's like, there's one piece of advice you'd give to everyone listening would be this. You have not because you ask not. This is scripture, by the way. It says that in James 4, 2, 3, you do not have because you do not ask. And oftentimes in prayer, we don't ask because we don't think we'll receive. Or we don't think that God cares to give. And he invites us to ask, to even wrestle like Jacob, who wrestled with God, who came out transformed. Guys, prayer doesn't have to look pretty. Prayer can be messy. We have cursed at God, yelled, cried. That prayer is simply an invitation to connect with him. And why this is key, I want you to hear this, is that prayer, asking for daily bread, prayer brings us to a place of dependency. And it's only in the place of dependency will you receive. Why it's hard for us to receive is because we like to control. I heard someone say one time that the opposite of faith isn't fear, it's control. Because faith is saying, God, I'm going to put all of my dependency on you. Right? Peter walking on water. I'm going to, I'm going to put all of my weight and I'm going to lean on you even though I don't understand. Whereas control does the opposite. Because I don't feel safe, I need to understand. So I'm going to do what I know will help me understand. So Jesus teaches us that in prayer we are free to always ask and to receive. Amen? All right, the fifth one. Six total. You guys okay? It's helping anyone? The fifth one. Jesus teaches, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our sins so we can forgive those who sin against us. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is so important. God can't heal what you conceal. God can't heal what you conceal. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. David prayed this really profound prayer. He says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David's saying, God, if there's even anything that I don't know about, anything that's hidden, anything that I've suppressed, Bring it to the surface so I can be free. Let me give you an example. If you aren't aware that you struggle with pride, unless you become aware and give it to God, which is the act of confessing, 
you won't even know that he healed you in the first place. The reason we pray, forgive us of our sins, listen, is not because we've lost our state of grace and need to be resaved. Justification is permanent. If you've received Jesus, you are justified before God. You're permanently saved. Instead, confessing our sins reminds us that there's more to salvation than just being justified. Salvation also involves being sanctified and living as sons of God. It's when we are aware of any offensive way within us that we can then give it to him to receive his grace, to receive his perspective, to invite him in to heal and cleanse us from any guilt and shame put on us as a result of sin. And so as judge, I want to say this, as judge, God no longer sees our sin because his righteous verdict removes all condemnation. There we go. Right? He who knew no sin became our sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. So I want you to hear this. That as judge, God no longer sees our sin because of his righteous verdict. But, big but right there. As father, listen, as father, he's quite aware of our sin. And he wants us to become aware of it too so that we can be free. But we must realize that God sees our sins as a loving father, not an angry critic. That's how the Lord's prayer begins, not our judge, but our father. That we pray from inside the family of God, not from the outside trying to get back in. I need you guys to hear this. When God looks at you, if you've received him, he sees you the same way that he sees his son. You've received his righteousness, not by any work or striving you've done, right? On the cross, I want you to, this is a quick theology moment. On the cross, he who knew no sin became it. How did that happen? How did he who knew no sin become our sin on the cross? He received it. So that we would become the righteousness of God. How did you become righteous? You receive it. And sanctification is the process of your soul being renewed to that fact. That in your spirit, you're made right with God. You're holy, you're blameless, you're pure. But your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions have to daily be renewed into who he sees you as. That's sanctification. And so as a father, he sees who you really are. As a loving father, he sees you for who you really are. He knows the full picture. He knows the beginning to end. 
He knows who you really are. And as a loving father, the things that are keeping you bound, the mindsets that are stopping you from being free, the patterns, the relationships, the things, the actions, the habits that are getting in the way as a father, he wants to remove those things. But here's the key. God can't heal what you conceal. And from this, living in light of forgiveness changes how we treat others. It keeps us from being bitter, jaded, guarded, and offended. Can I drop a bar real quick? Forgiven people forgive people, and guilty people guilt people. Forgiven people who have received forgiveness, extend it. The guilty people who still live in guilt and shame and don't understand that you've been justified through faith in Christ, you'll continue to guilt other people and be bitter and jaded and offended because deep down you actually haven't received forgiveness for yourself. Right? He who has been forgiven much can love much. And so Jesus teaches us that prayer allows us to receive his grace, his forgiveness to cleanse us and to extend it to others. The last one, you guys ready? You guys are doing great. Jesus says, lead us from temptation and deliver us from evil. The sixth thing is that prayer brings deliverance. Prayer brings deliverance. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says this, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. It's important that we understand this because I know reading this, it sounds kind of weird. It's like, Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Like, wait, does God lead us into temptation? It's important to understand that this doesn't mean that God tempts us James 1.13 says that God tempts no one, but it's acknowledging that God has such power over the tempter and is asking him to save us from the enemy's grip. It's to pray for God's protection because he knows our weaknesses and where we fall the easiest, right? It's like a parent who's going to the grocery store and they know candy aisle, just don't go down that candy aisle, right? Or the toy aisle. It's like for our, my son, it's like the toy aisle. Don't go anything near that. And you know, if you walk down that aisle, he's going to flip out, right? He's going to want something. You're like, I don't want to spend 30 bucks on another dinosaur, right? And it's just going to be a whole huge thing. I'm going to be stressed. You're going to be freaking out. And I'm going to have to say no. I'm going to look like a bad parent. This is the whole thing, right? And it's not going to be good for him. So leading us, Lord, lead us not into temptation saying, God, Lead us to not go where we know we will fall. Right, the best thing you can do when you're tempted or fall into temptation is to engage in prayer. 
that if prayer leads us from temptation, the enemy will do everything to keep us from prayer. Say it again. If prayer leads us from temptation, then the enemy will do everything to keep us from prayer. Does anyone struggle with prayer? Yeah, there you go. It's not just you. Richard Foster writes, the enemy majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and maniness, he will rest satisfied. But the enemy loves to keep us from prayer because prayer is where the enemy loses his grip. That we often give into temptation when we're distracted or tired as a result of busyness, whereas prayer gives us supply. This is why we're told to seek the Father in private, to seek him behind closed doors in secret. It's not just so that our motives will stay pure, which is part of it. It's, it's not just that, but it's also that in the stillness, the slowness, and the solitude that the Lord can begin to do a work in us. And so Jesus teaches us that prayer brings protection and deliverance. So I'm going to end here in Matthew 26, 40 says this, then Jesus returned to his disciples, right? This is him in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? I want you to hear this. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? That Jesus wanted his disciples during his moment of greatest anguish to pray with him. Obviously, you guys know the story that fell asleep. And Jesus says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is an invitation that in prayer, you have to stay present. That if you get bored praying after a few minutes, then that says more about you than it says about God. It reveals that there's more of God for you to discover. I don't know if you guys know this, but the average human attention span is 8.25 seconds. This is why Instagram, TikTok's popping off, right? Our average human attention span is 8.25 seconds. The average human attention span decreased by almost 25% from 2000 to 2015. Want to hear this? It's even, it's even worse. Humans have shorter attention spans than goldfish, <laughs> which is nine seconds. It's not good, guys. And so prayer requires presence. If you want to experience God's presence, it starts by giving him yours. Really, there's only one rule to prayer. Is ready for this? There's really only one rule for prayer, and it's to show up. Show up. Even if you're all messy, 
You, know, you got it all figured out. You don't have a perfect speech written out. You don't have your prayer list. Show up. Because your spirit is willing to pray. It longs to connect with Jesus, but your flesh has to be renewed. And your flesh is renewed in the place of prayer. Amen? You're welcome. So I'm going to end with this. I got this from a pastor uh, named Landon McDonald. And he posted this this week that I love. That what type of prayer moves God? Right, like we talked about. Prayer doesn't change God's nature, but it moves him and it changes things. So what type of prayer moves God? The first is repetitive, fervent prayer. We see this in Luke 11, right? Jesus gives the parable of the person who's sleeping and his neighbor comes or his friend comes knocking and wants some food. And he says if he, if he continues to knock long enough, he'll eventually get out of bed and give him what he wants. The second is fasting with prayer. Matthew 6, right? This kind can only come out, right? This, this oppression can only come out through fasting and prayer. The third is secret, intimate prayer, Matthew 6, right? It's in the place of being in the secret place that our motives are tested. That we are able to actually slow down and focus and be with him. The third one is selfless prayer, James 4 that we're praying with pure motives. And the last one is grateful prayer, as we see in Philippians 4, right? Grateful prayer, thanksgiving. And so prayer is the place you recover God's true identity. It's a place you discover your own and equally the identity of everyone else. Amen? All right, you guys can stand. Thank you, Jesus. You guys ready to pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just going to just read Luke 2. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus, we just release everyone in this room to be a people of prayer, to come into the understanding of the power that comes and happens in prayer. Lord, we just release and activate everyone in this room to step into their identity to rule and reign with you on the earth, to see your kingdom come and to see your will be released on earth, in our families, in our churches, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, as it is in heaven. And thank you, Lord, 
that you've entrusted us with the keys of the kingdom. You've given us authority to see heaven come to earth. And so we step into that authority. We receive those keys. We receive those keys. We thank you, Father, that we can intimately know you. I pray that this week prayer would not be a chore. It would not be a duty, but it would be a delight. It would be a delight that our spirit would be willing and our flesh would be weak. (laughs) So mark this house, let breakthrough be a house of prayer. Let this be a praying church. Let us be a praying people. And we just release intercessors in this room to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.